still, be still. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. He says, be still and know that I am God. All right, good morning. Hey, can we thank the worship team? What a great job just getting us focused today. I love it. We talk often about their goal is to do exactly what they did today, to help us be preoccupied with Jesus. And that's uh, really what's happened in this place already today. My name's Todd Arnett, the lead pastor here at Trinity. It's a privilege to get to be with you on this uh, President's Day weekend. Thanks for making this a part of your weekend plan. You're joining us today in a series called Still. We're actually bringing it to an end. It's how we kicked off this brand new year. And in it today, we're going to look at some powerful stuff about a king named Jehoshaphat, right? An everyday name. You've all named your kids that. And, um, and it's going to be really great just to see the way he and the nation responded to God. If you have a Bible today, we're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, that's in the former covenant, the Old Testament. And huge help today, right after 1 Chronicles. You're welcome, all right? So find your way there. If you have a Trinity this week, you have notes that look like this. If you want to get those out, have those ready to go. You can, that'll help you kind of follow along, pace a little bit with our, our message, but also for your home groups, those are your prompts this week as you gather together to kind of just, uh, we're a big fan of the idea, less is more, so let's take this Bible content from this weekend and then really be able to discuss it and talk about it and see how it applies to our lives in a home group context. Well, like we said, this is uh, the end of this series that has been so powerful for me personally, as well as those you've come and talked to me. It's so relatable. I was sharing with someone out on the plaza today that what I love about it is that this is not an ivory tower message that anybody escapes and just can kind of say, well, for the rest of you all, this is really important information. It's something we all live in, something we all deal with is what is the degree that fear and anxiety is going to overtake my life? And will I, and this is a beautiful thing about this, will I go to God? Will I find him to be my refuge, my strong tower, rather than just continue to be overcome and overwhelmed? And so we're excited to get to push the ball a little farther down the field. That makes me think of, though, when I think of people who might have even been joining us in this last series or even joining us for the first time today, a little commercial. We're doing something after the service today called Start Here. Start Here is an opportunity for you to connect with some of our pastors and ministry directors right out on the plaza, and the goal is just so we could meet you, say hello, answer any questions you might have. We always have a next steps, kind of a, a quick sheet just to know kind of how to get more plugged in and more involved at Trinity as you would like to, and so look for us out on the plaza after this service if you'd like to connect. Well, like we said, we're talking about King Jehoshaphat today, not a, a common household name, but it should be. This is interesting to me. As we've gone through this series, we've hit a couple different narratives that we realize never really made it to the flannel graph board. And King Jehoshaphat isn't always a name that is, is readily reminded to us, but we're going to see today for a host of reasons it should be. As we look at our former covenant, our Old Testament, we should actually have this narrative as one of the top ones that we look back to in terms of a person and a people group who said, God, we're going to trust you. 
Because he is going to be faced with an incredible sequence, an incredible challenge, an adversary at his door. And as a result, they're going to come to God collectively as a people and say, God, we need you and we look to you. And that's a, a great reminder for us in our everyday lives. I love in this series what we've seen, the idea that's even named still after the concept from uh, Psalm 46. Being still engages a deep and yet very practical reliance on God for him to save the day. And we're going to see that in vivid color today. Here's our now what statement we talk about every week. When the size of our fears overshadows our options, we'll choose to keep our eyes on Jesus. Notice that is phrased a little bit differently than most weeks in a first person plural because I wanted to communicate that's what this message is about is the people of God. It's the community, the family who say, God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Number one in your notes today, godly leadership and followership are necessary when facing fears together. Godly leadership and followership are necessary when facing fears together. We pick it up in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Mayunites, and by the way, there's going to be a sequence of words today. I'm not totally sure how you pronounce them, so I'm making it up as I go. They came to wage war with, against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar, that is in Gedi, alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. So let's start this narrative off right. The very beginning says, after this. It would be helpful for us to know contextually after what. This is in 2 Chronicles 20. The chapter before in verse 9, or chapter 19 is all about uh, Jehoshaphat's reforms. He is a king who is in the vein of David, meaning he is a godly leader, he is a noble warrior, and he is someone who wants to align the people back to the covenant that Yahweh made with their ancestors. And so this is what he's been doing, and chapter 19 is all about bringing back worship to the temple, getting rid of pagan gods that have infiltrated their way among the people, and so he's been a king of reform. That's why we said earlier, it's, it's appalling to me, to all, for all of us, not just for you, but for me, that we don't know of King Jehoshaphat more, because he's an incredibly exemplary model king. Look what it says a couple chapters earlier in 2 Chronicles 17. Verse three, the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the ways of his father David before him. He did not consult the Baals, but sought the God of his father and followed the commands, his commands, rather than the practices of Israel. The Lord established the kingdom under his control and all Judah brought out gifts to Jehoshaphat so that he had great wealth and honor. His heart was devoted to the ways of the Lord. Furthermore, he removed the high places and the Asherah poles from Judah. So we read about an exceptional king who is working diligently to turn the heart of the people back to Yahweh, back to God, and to be able to say, we recognize, we entered into a covenant relationship with you, we want to continue in that, we want to serve you aright. So he's an incredible king that we just don't see often in either the northern, none really in the northern kingdom, and even few in the southern kingdom called Judah. And, um, and the reality is this, as, as much as that is true of his godly attitude, that didn't insulate him from the fear of being attacked. 
that's where we pick it up to today, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. There is this army that has mounted. Take a look at this map. It'll help you a little bit, kind of see what we're talking about. You'll notice these kingdoms on the, on the east side of the Dead Sea, that large body of water towards the middle of the map. In the orange is the kingdom of Ammon, and below it, the kingdom of Moab in purple. Those two groups and the people of Mount Seir, they have co collided together, colluded together. They have collaboration, all kinds of fun alliteration today. They're working as, a, as one vast army, and watch it, they live on the east side of the Dead Sea. They have actually, by the time that Jehoshaphat hears of the problem, they've already entered into Judah. They've come around the corner, around the bottom through Edom, and their army is assembled at in Gedi, which is where that star is, and you'll notice Jerusalem's not far away. So we're not talking about the potential of an attack. They're already in their land. It would be like if Cuba and Venezuela wanted to gang up and go against Los Angeles and already had forces in San Diego. Okay, it's not like, I wonder if this is gonna happen. They are marching forward and they're on their way. So that's the degree of concern that, um, that he has. So the, the text of right says that Jehoshaphat was alarmed. This is the first time he's hearing about it when there's this massive opponent already in his land. And the interesting thing is what you might have thought, what I would have thought most leaders would struggle with is either one, be paralyzed by fear and, and not know really what to do and just kind of, uh, kind of reaction or have a knee-jerk reaction, who can bail me out of this problem? Who am I gonna look to? Who's, what alliance can I make with what people group to save me? But look at what it, the text says. He reaches out in reliance upon God. It says, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. And I want you to see today why this is so important is because he hadn't always responded this way. Of all the great things that we said about Jehoshaphat, which are still true and to be really exemplary for us, the challenges that he had, if you read 2 Chronicles 18, the whole chapter is about an ungodly alliance with the king of Israel. It's weird to say that the kings of Israel were all wicked. Remember a divided kingdom, Israel to the north, Judah to the south. But of all the kings, he made an alliance with Ahab. Ahab's a guy we talked about a couple weeks ago. There was none more vile ever than Ahab and Jezebel. So this is the sequence. He's made an alliance there. And then even later in the very chapter we're in today, in 2 Chronicles 20, once again, he makes an ungodly alliance with another king of Israel. So what, what does that say but this? Is that in times when there was a need to want to reach out for help and to have some connection, he had a weakness. He had a weakness of not going to God and trusting him to be his source of refuge and strength and would make these alliances with people groups that absolutely were opposed to Yahweh. Israel was so far gone at this point that God has just told them through the prophets, it is now imminent that you're gonna be judged. So this is what is so powerful about this narrative today. We see this time that Jehoshaphat's reaction isn't who's gonna bail me out. We've talked about how this series is so applicable to all of us. I was thinking about a thing that we're staring at right now in our lives. And as I was thinking about it, it kind of came across my radar a couple weeks ago. And I remember thinking about it and my first reaction was, God, who can you bring into my life to help me get out of this? Who do I know who can help be a part of this solution? 
And what I was really grateful for was I didn't have that thought process. I didn't pray that prayer very long before God just kind of gently reminded me, Todd, you have me. I hold all the wealth and resources of heaven, and yet you're trying to figure out which human being is going to make this work for you. Call out to me. Trust me. Let me be your refuge and strength rather than worrying about who is going to fix this for you. And I was so grateful because that's what this series is trying to do in all of our lives. Shift our attention away from all of the things that we'll reach out to to fix our problems and keep going vertically to God. God, you are the source. You are my protector. You are my provider. I'm going to look to you first. And you can choose any means you want to to bring deliverance but I'm not gonna go first off to the people in my network to somehow make it work for me. And I hope for you this series has had some of those opportunities as well. What is so great about this particular passage today is we look at a king who struggled with going to God first, but in this narrative, he does. And then there's hope for King Jehoshaphat, there's also hope for us too that we can begin to make these shifts and these changes in our attitude and in our priorities. Jehoshaphat models for us what we've been circling around all throughout this series. It's in your notes. God invites you to find your refuge in him. God invites you to find your refuge in him. Not in the safe places that we've been prone to look to, but going to him is where we're called to. But what I want you to see, remember this, this section in our notes didn't just say godly leadership's important, it also said godly followership. I want you to see the attitude of the people, the willingness of the people to follow what was really an integral part to this whole narrative. When Jehoshaphat led, they followed. Look in the text. He, Jehoshaphat, proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. And the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Questions that were asked. Proclaim a fast? The idea of, um, of seeking help from the Lord? Gather an army. Figure out a battle plan. That's exactly what we need to do in this treacherous time. I'm sure that among the people, there were voices that were championing these other causes. We got to figure out how to defend ourselves. We got to get bunkers set, all those things. Jehoshaphat, the leader, said, let's entrust ourselves to God. Let's seek him before we do anything else. And the powerful thing is that among the people, that won the day. They followed his lead. And I think about that, and I think about the times in our lives when we're asked to do something similar. We might not have a, a, a vast army at our border coming against us, but we collectively as a group of people have had issues that we face collectively as a group that we've had to say, I don't know what to do. Our leaders are trying to give leadership. They're saying we ought to do this. Let's follow. As hard as it is to be the leader in those scenarios, I think it's even harder to be the followers. Because what you're saying is, in essence, I'm taking what I feel like is my well-being and putting it in your lap. Please don't mess it up. And I think back to the times that I have been in those situations when I've been called upon to follow other people's lead. You know, we live in a culture that loves 
to rise up against authority. If we were to take our culture's attitude, there would be very little submission in any relationship that we live in. But the Bible seems to have great clarity related to all the kinds of relationships that we live in. There's always a sense of leadership and followership. And in a culture that champions the underdog and champions rising up against those above us, realize in this passage today, it was the people who assembled as one Listen to Jehoshaphat. By the way, Jehoshaphat wasn't any, any old king. He had earned trust. He had demonstrated godliness. He had shown them, I am for you as we follow Yahweh together. And out of that trust, they were able together as a group, you're gonna see this all throughout our passage today, together as one person, continue to follow after God's design. That's when the church shows itself strong to a community watching that there's a group of people who are entrusting together what God has for them. It's a powerful thing. My question to you is you think back to a time when you were called upon to trust those in leadership above you. Simple question, how'd you do? How'd you do it following their lead? And I would say at the times that others of us, have, many of us have had those kind of decisions to make, it's been challenging. There have been times we've done that relatively well and other times that we just thought, I don't think you know what you're doing and we push back. It would have been very easy on that day to say, Jehoshaphat, you don't know what you're doing. But they got in line, they followed, and we'll see their incredible example today. Number two in your notes, when overwhelmed by fear, revisit God's faithfulness and rely on him anew. When overwhelmed by fear, revisit God's, what, what was that word? His faithfulness. We just sang that moments ago as we were receiving communion, great. Great is thy faithfulness. Revisit his faithfulness and rely on him anew. Second Chronicles 20, verse five. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in, the front, of the new, in front of the new courtyard. And he said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. But now here are men from Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army attacking us. We do not know what to do but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Wow, what a prayer, what words. I want you to notice this role of leadership. Notice that not only has Jehoshaphat made the clarion call from all the towns and area of Judah, come assemble in Jerusalem, come assemble at Yahweh's temple, 
And there we will collectively cry out to the Lord. And I would say to you, that's a model for anyone in leadership. Whether you're a leader in your home, whether you're a leader on the job, whether you're a leader in this church, God, would we collectively keep calling us as people to come before you to seek you out, what you want from your church, from this company, from our family, looking for reliance upon him and not our techniques, not our agendas. So powerful, the example he lays for us still today. The axiom that we've kept front and center in this series, really he portrays well, it's in your notes. You have our anxiety through prayer, thankfulness, and God's promise of peace. You avert anxiety through prayer, thankfulness, and God's promise of peace. That's from Philippians 4, 6, and 7. We began with that in week one of this series, and these are tools that God has given us. Rather than being overwhelmed by anxiety, I go to God in prayer, I'm reminded, I'm thoughtful and thankful of what he's done for me, and I look forward to his promise of peace. This is an axiom we've talked about weekly. And thankfulness is exactly where Jehoshaphat goes next. He begins recounting the character of God and what God has done for them. His first words in this prayer, he reminds God of who God is and how he's acted. And a simple question for you is, did he do that for God's benefit? Did God forget who he, did he just kind of, he's hearing Jehoshaphat's prayer, oh, you're right. I am that guy. I should step up. I'm pretty sure God's pretty well aware of who he is. Not only of who he's been in the past, but who he is today. Pretty well aware that God is absolutely aware of his power, strength, and sovereignty over everything that happens. Not just in our lives, but everything. So if it wasn't for God, what was Jehoshaphat doing? And I think about the reality is it's exactly what you do when you join with us every Sunday. As we sing these songs of praise, as we're preoccupied with our attention upon God, we are really doing a couple things. We are saying vertically to God, God, we believe these things. These words that are so inspired from your word, these words that songwriters have collected, a collective idea from scripture, we believe these things are true of you. But then you also, so not only is that happening vertically, but you know what also is happening? It's happening horizontally. We're reminding each other that these things are true of God. Think back to the times you've walked into this very building filled with despair, filled with a sense of just overwhelming fear. And the interesting thing was it wasn't what someone said from this stage that day. It wasn't even from the, the thoughtful hug that someone could tell you were struggling that they gave. You know what it was? It was the worship music that caused that tear to go down your eyes. You just sat there and thought, God, you do have this. God, collectively, this group of people is reminding me of what I believe but have forgotten, have been clouded from seeing clearly and we are not only proclaiming to God his own goodness, but we're proclaiming to each other and reminding ourselves of who God is, how powerful he is, and what he continues to want to do with his church. 
this is great news and great, a great reason sometimes when we think about what's the value of even participating on a Sunday morning, even showing up to church, that to me is one of the greatest, is what happens in community in this place. But I want you to see this as Jehoshaphat is, is saying these powerful, all absolutely true things of who God is, what he's done, he changes the shift of thought. He changes the flow, and then he says this, God, this same powerful, magnificent God, God, you restricted our ancestors from going on the other side of the river and of this Dead Sea to take out these people. You said, leave them alone, and now they're repaying us for evil, or good for evil for good. God, you kept us from doing anything towards them, and out of the goodness of that gesture, look how they're treating us. Jehoshaphat is struggling with the disconnect of their obedience to God, but it not playing out in blessing. Isn't it interesting that you and I have prayed very similar prayers? God, you have clearly directed me in your word to not go after financial gain via unethical practices that I was encouraged to engage. But because I didn't, my job is being threatened. God, you have clearly directed me through your word not to pursue a romantic relationship with someone who doesn't love and follow you. But because I didn't, I'm alone and I'm worried a spouse might not be in my future. God, you have clearly directed me through your word to reach out with Jesus' influence to those in my relational world. And because I did, now I've been ostracized by the very people I'm called to reach who still need you desperately. You have prayed prayers of disconnect, just like Jehoshaphat's. God, I have done what seems to be obedient. It, it's very, everything about what I believe you called me to in this particular circumstance, I was doing it to be obedient, but as a result, I feel punished, not blessed. This disconnect doesn't mean we blame God and we say, God, it's all your fault, but we're confused. We thought obedience was supposed to bring blessing. And now as a result, we struggle with the idea of why don't these things add up? I find great consolation in the fact that narrative characters in the Bible struggled the same way I do too. And I can go, God, this is what they did. They brought these concerns and their heartache to you. I'm gonna do the same. And remember what Jehoshaphat was praying in this moment was a day before he was gonna see God's deliverance. How often when we pray these prayers of disconnect, we don't know what God's still about to do. And we find ourselves in the same place that Jehoshaphat did. I really want to focus on this one sentence within the prayer. For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Let's say that phrase together with me. One, two, three. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That is a phrase that is worth memorizing. That is a phrase worth holding on to, keeping really close to your heart, of someone who can say with all honesty and sincerity, God, I have no plan. God, I didn't have a sequence of options for this scenario, and I'm not looking to, for some person I network with to fix it. 
I don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. This should be something in our prayer life that we hold on to and pull out quickly when we come to these crossroads of experiences and just say, God, I'm at a loss. I honestly have no idea what to do at this point, but I'm not in despair because I'm gonna keep looking to you. Look at how this idea is focused and fleshed out in the New Testament when we face engulfing fears. Look what it says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse one. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Watch, fixing our eyes on Jesus. We don't know what to do, but what? Our eyes are on you. The author of Hebrews, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now watch this, here's the application. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, why? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart when? When you face opposition from people who mount against you. Fixing our eyes on Jesus so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. This is the New Testament re reality that we read in the old and it's fleshed out again. It's to Jesus that we're to keep our eyes when we face opposition and be reminded not only of what he did, but be reminded of who he is. Finally today, number three, let's see how this narrative plays out. Obedience, faith, and praise are to be our responses even before God delivers. Obedience, faith, and praise are to be our responses even before God delivers. As we read this narrative, I want you to note all of the actions of faith and obedience and praise that the people engaged in before God ever did noticeably for them anything. Chapter 20, verse 14, then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, and the son of Mataniah, a Levite and the descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. He said, listen, so this is one of the people assembled together of man of God who's now gonna speak for God as his prophet. Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what Yahweh, what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be, be afraid, do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Look at that response. Go do this, go take on this vast army. Boom, we're gonna worship God. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left, the desert of, left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. They're on their way to battle. 
Our God's amazing. As they went out ahead of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. You get three bad guys working against each other, something like this is gonna happen. This is what they do, they take each other out. Watch this, when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder and found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much collected There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. On the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Barakah where they praised the Lord. This is why it's called the Valley of Barakah to this day. Then, led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. The fear of God came on all those surrounding kingdoms when they heard of how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. The only thing this passage needs to conclude with is a yay God. Can I get one? Yay Yay God. This is amazing. Look at how God delivers. Powerfully, supernaturally, all that the army has to do is go out and carry away the plunder blew their minds, no doubt. I want you to see a few things as we wrap it up today. The first one is this. First off, I love this. All these things were happening of praise and worship and obedience far before they ever saw any deliverance. The word barakah that we just read, it means praise. So how cool is that? They actually called this place, we're gonna call this the Valley of Praise. Imagine if we had a geographical destination in the city of Redlands that was called, this is a place of praise. This is where God did this thing and we will not forget. What a powerful testament to God's might, his provision, his protection of his people, a people who were completely reliant upon him. First off, I want you to do this, and I'm gonna say this with great um, respect. Uh, If your Bible is like mine, I have a NIV 1984 edition, and in it, um, the Bible is absolutely authoritative, God-inspired, God-breathed, absolutely. But the, the subtitles above sections of scripture are humanly made. So therefore, they're easy to edit. You're not touching the word of God, you're just touching what an editor put. And here to me is the biggest travesty of any humanly placed subtext I've ever seen in my life. In my Bible it says, Jehoshaphat defeats Ammon and Moab. Write this instead, cross that out and put Yahweh. Put Yahweh in that place because Jehoshaphat would be the first to tell you to do so. We came upon the battlefield and everyone was dead. It would be like this. It'd be like if you were playing any kind of a sport and it's this championship game, you're totally the underdog and you come to the field or you come to the court and all of a sudden the other team just disqualified. They're not even gonna play and you win. Who walks away going, we're so amazing. We go, thank you, God, they quit. This is great. And we get to dance and have the whole ceremony and the whole business. That's exactly what happened this day. There's no way that Jehoshaphat defeated anybody, but Yahweh did. 
And they were quick. They were, unlike our, our editors in our Bibles, they were quick to give God the praise. They were quick to recognize this was the Lord's battle. We just simply showed up and saw his power and his might displayed. Here's a question. Have you seen God provide powerfully like this in your life before? Many of us would say, yeah. I didn't have a vast army mounted at my southern border, but it was when God did this thing in our family. It was when God did this thing with my health. It was when God did this thing in our community that we saw him powerful and lifted up. And the interesting thing is when you've had those moments, how much credit did you take? None at all. You know this was God on the move. You know this was God doing something you could not explain. How about even the times maybe when you've seen God win the day and it wasn't just at one moment because I think sometimes we want to live for these kind of really extreme displays of his power, but we don't want to keep on keeping on. And how many times have we seen when you have kept on keeping on, you see at the end of the day, God does something, you look backwards and like today, great is thy faithfulness. God, look at what you've done. Have you seen your fears lessen even before you see God deliver? That's what happened today in this passage. Their fears did not get the best of them. They just kept walking in obedience, praise, and faith. And they saw God do something they couldn't explain. I also want to push today on the idea of community. I want you to see that as important as it was that there were leaders like Jehoshaphat, important as it was that there was a prophet like Jehaziel, it was the people who gathered together. It was the people who were willing to follow. It was the people who not only came to the temple to worship, but the people who took feet to their faith the next day and went out to the battlefield, having no idea on how God would deliver, but by the way, being told by a mouthpiece of God, a prophet in their midst, God will. That's, that's a community, that's a people who's saying, God, we trust you more than we trust what we think could happen, more than we trust what is our options that we're gonna look to, we trust you. In your notes, when the people of God collectively fear a common foe, they are to come together and seek his deliverance and protection. When the people of God face a common fear, they're to come together and seek his deliverance and protection. And I would say today, as you look around in this great country, a country we are grateful for, but you see a mounting sequence of decisions that we're not even saying today violate scripture, they just violate basic morality. A conscience that every human being made in the image of God has, more and more, rightly so, you and I are thinking it is going to be more challenging to follow Jesus than it was maybe this last generation. What are we going to do with that? Are we going to be paralyzed by fear? Are we going to try to find people in our network who are going to help us? Are we going to come in faith and praise and obedience to God and say, God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you? You see, Peter wrote to a New Testament era this same concept he embedded it in the context of Christians who were suffering. And by the way, even our brothers and sisters around the world today probably know very little compared to the suffering that was going on in Rome and around its presence 
when Peter and Paul were writing words like these. Incredible atrocities, incredible persecution simply for naming the name of Jesus. But look what Peter said to that group of people. 1 Peter 3, 13. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? That's a basic kind of rhetorical question. But then he answers it. But even if you should suffer for, for what's right, even in this era we live in, actually that could happen. You are blessed. Look what he says. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Imperative verbs, commands to us. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Now, many of us have 1 Peter 3.15 memorized related to an apologetic, but it's interesting if we haven't read much before this phrase, revere Christ as Lord, set him apart as Lord. We've thought of that maybe related to the, the, the powerful truth of who Jesus is, but I'm gonna tell you 1 Peter 3.15 is really talking about the power of his protection and his provision. Revere him, set him apart, recognize his authority over everything in your life. And then knowing that to be true, having that on your mind, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Watch, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. 1 Peter 3 is all about suffering for naming the name of Christ and how we're to respond in this New Testament age. I want you to hear this today. Our response is very different from the people of God back in 2 Chronicles 20. And here's the basic reason why. They lived under a completely different covenant. God had made a covenant with a geographical nation of Israel to accomplish his purposes, but we just said it today in our communion. Jesus says, I've come to bring a new covenant. Our community is not defined by a geography or a name of a nation. Our connection is defined through Jesus and through his church that goes through every tribe, tongue, and nation. We don't have borders. We are worldwide. And so in our response, as we walk forward as the church of Jesus, the reality is, is that our call is different. We're not going to go out and inflict damage on people. Instead, what we're going to do is entrust ourselves to Jesus and live in a manner that does good even when we're opposed. Live in a way that is gentle and respectful even when we're opposed. Because we revere Christ as Lord. So let's walk side by side with this kind of reliance upon Jesus. With this kind of resolve not to fear. And with this kind of respect toward the people in our relational world, even our community who might oppose us. When the size of our fears overshadows our options, we'll choose to keep our eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we want to say thank you for this incredibly powerful narrative of Jehoshaphat. Maybe better said, this incredibly powerful narrative of you and your deliverance for a king and a kingdom who would simply admit their reliance upon you, admit they have no other options, admit that they don't know what to do, but God, their eyes are on you. Would you help us to be a people fixing our eyes on Jesus so that we do not grow weary, so that we do not lose heart? And would we be your church? Would we act 
God, out of a confidence, out of a trust, out of a faith in who you say you are. And would your kingdom continue to advance, a kingdom of love and forgiveness and salvation. And God, we want to join you in that. We want to be a partner to what you want to do here in the Inland Empire. And we're so grateful for this season, this generation, this time. We said it earlier today, if you haven't yet put your faith in Jesus, man, I don't know what's holding you back. But you have the option right here, right now, to respond to this gospel, respond to this invitation. Find Jesus as your refuge. Fix your eyes on him and be a part of this great kingdom, this great community that he has set aside. Father, we love you today. Would we live in the midst of whatever we're facing, believing you still move mountains and believing, God, you're gonna do it again. We love you and pray in Jesus' great name, amen.